Today on Government Matters, the next round of stimulus money may include some juice for the federal workforce. House Veterans Affairs Committee Chairman Mark Takano details what's in it for you. Cyberspace. In the COVID era, the co-chairs of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, Senator Angus King and Congressman Mike Gallagher, tell you what the coronavirus has changed in the cyber world and what it hasn't. And a bad day for the Chinese Navy. Congressman Gallagher explains why a new frigate built in his home state should give U.S. adversaries heartburn. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Health and Economic Recovery Omnibus Emergency Solutions Act, the HEROES Act, would provide $3 trillion in emergency relief. Frontline workers, federal employees, and veterans are among those who'd get aid. Congressman Mark Takano is the chairman of the House Veterans Affairs Committee. Mr. Chairman, thanks very much for coming on the program today. What's the goal of the bill? Oh, what specifically are you aiming at regarding the federal government in particular in the HEROES Act, sir? Well, uh, with regard to all of the uh, tremendous workforce at the VA, uh, I'm looking to get uh, paid sick leave uh, and uh, uh, hazard pay uh, and uh, presumptions uh, when filing workers' compensation claims. The big challenge for the frontline workers at the VA are similar to the same challenges that healthcare workers have more broadly across the economy. Uh, what's your sense of how VA is responding to the challenges that they've seen so far because of coronavirus, Mr. Chairman? Well, I think they've had initially some challenges uh, with uh, adequate supplies of personal protective equipment. But I think uh, the VA is making uh, greater strides. There was a lot of confusion from our end about how their own guidelines, uh, what guidelines were being issued uh, regarding the wearing of PPE uh, and how consistently those guidelines were being, uh, were being enforced uh, and managed across the VA. My sense is that there is a greater confidence that they have uh, adequate supplies of PPE. Uh, their guidelines have become, I think, less conservation oriented uh, and um, uh, but I think uh, I have to give the, the VA uh, some high marks for being uh, I think very forward-looking uh, and aggressive in terms of dealing with state veterans homes and the nursing homes uh, private nursing homes the VA has been uh, embarking on some humanitarian missions uh, uh, and, and, you know, the, the state nursing homes, the state veterans homes uh, are not managed by the VA. Uh, the yeah. VA just funds uh, the veterans who uh, are in those homes. And we've seen some tragic losses of life in these state veterans homes. And as you know, the private nursing homes are, are, are a hotspot. And the VA does have some important expertise in the area of geriatrics and caring for older people. I mean, it's a large part of the VA's current patient base. 
And uh, so the VA has been able to join uh, in many states as uh, strike teams to be able to offer uh, uh, their expertise and to try to prevent the collapse of some of these nursing homes uh, around the country and state veterans homes. Uh, there's going to need to be tremendous after action sort of investigation and work to rethink how these state veterans homes, um, you know, are supervised and what the oversight is, is going to be going forward. Uh, but, you know, this has largely been, I think, a good thing. Uh, I've commended the secretary and the uh, Dr. Stone, the, uh, the executive in charge of health. Um, I, you know, I, I, we're going to have to do a lot more thinking about uh, how we have our own stockpile of, uh, of, um, of, of personal protective equipment uh, going forward as well. Mr. Chairman, I want to go back to the HEROES Act. And I, I, it, are there provisions in the HEROES Act for things like telework and so on that not only will pertain to the federal government's response to coronavirus, the way it does its business now, but the way it may potentially do its business moving forward after we're not worried about the virus as much, people start to come back to the office or maybe don't come back to the office, maybe continue a, a more robust telework presence than the government's had in the past. Are there elements of the HEROES Act that help address that? Well, the HEROES Act will ensure uh, that all VA doctors and nurses receive uh, paid sick leave if they're exposed. Uh, but right now, it doesn't look like the VA leadership has fully implemented either the telework or paid leave policies that Congress had, had intended. Um, so I'm hearing uh, too many stories about uh, the inconsistency, um, about how uh, paid sick leave uh, is implemented, how managers uh, deal with it. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I am also concerned about how available telework is to our current VA workforce and whether everybody who could uh, telework is given that opportunity to do that. Uh, to what extent is VA just not equipped, does not have all the equipment that they need, uh, the, the, the kinds of support software and hardware that people need to, to do work from home. Uh, so I've heard concerns uh, from uh, the AFGE about this, and I will be following up with Secretary Wilkie to make sure that these policies are followed so that we can keep VA employees safe and healthy. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time, sir. You're welcome. Thank you. Up next, cybersecurity in the coronavirus era. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the leaders of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission on what's changing in cyberspace and what isn't. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. The federal government and the nation need a Senate-confirmed national cyber director. The Cyberspace Solarium Commission recommended that in its first Senate hearing. The co-chairs of the commission are Maine Independent Senator Angus King and Wisconsin Republican Representative Mike Gallagher. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on. Senator King, I'll start with you. What does that job look like, a national cyber director? Where does it live? Who does that person report to? And what's the portfolio look like? 
Well, let me, let me just give you the principle behind the job. I mean, one, one of my life's observation is that sloppy organization equals sloppy policy. And one of the problems now with cyber is that it's scattered throughout the federal government. There are a lot of very good agencies, very good people, but there's no comprehensive oversight, uh, coordination, or sort of forethought about the overall mission. And that's where uh, the commission first said, there's got to be somebody in charge. And then the question was, okay, where do we put it? And one thought was to create a whole new agency like the, the Director of National Intelligence. That would have been slow, a new bureaucracy. And finally, we settled on the, on the uh, image, on the, the, the past experience with the U.S. Trade Representative, who is a Senate-confirmed official in the executive office of the president. So that's what we're that's what we're proposing is a national cyber director, Senate confirmed, in the executive office of the president, who will have oversight and and a coordination function of all of the elements of of cyber defense and and cyber activity throughout the federal government. Congressman Gallagher, I jotted down before we went on the air a couple of people and jobs across the government now that have major cyber positions. Grant Schneider, the Chief Information Security Officer uh, at the Office of Management and Budget. Chris Krebs leads CISA inside the Department of Homeland Security. General Nakasone, the Commander of Cyber Command. Where would this National Cyber Director fit in that ecosystem of cybersecurity leaders across government? And what would he or she be able to do that the leaders that exist now can't do or can't do as much of? Well, I think the nature of the ecosystem that you described, and given how fractured it often is, is the primary argument for having that one person who can coordinate all of the different agencies that you mentioned and allow an organization like CISA to focus on its primary mission of defending our critical infrastructure, uh, allow NSA and Cybercom to sort of focus more on the offensive fight that we need that single point where Congress can reach out to and the president can reach out to to coordinate all of the people in the ecosystem. And also, I would say to take a longer term perspective, right? If you're not Cassoni, if you're Chris Krebs, you're probably mired in that day to day fight of keeping the country safe. We want someone who can take a step back and think in terms of budgets, strategy, policy and congressional equities and tell the president where we need to go in cyber. Senator King, what's your sense of the type of person that would be a good fit for that job? Well, I, I think first, obviously, some background and knowledge in the in the field of cyber, some management experience, because what we're really talking about is a coordination and a planning function here. Uh, and somebody who has the ability to attract and, and retain good people around them, uh, people who don't necessarily agree with them on everything. I've I'm one of my, uh, a friend of mine has a sign in his office up in Maine that says, if you and I agree all the time, one of us isn't necessary. Uh, so I'm looking for somebody that has, or I would, I, would, I would think that we should be looking for somebody who has a kind of a broad range of knowledge of government and knowledge of cyber uh, and an ability to bring people together. This isn't, a, uh, uh, th this isn't somebody that's gonna be everybody's boss. Uh, but it's more of a coordination function. And I think Mike put it very well. You've got these different functions going on around government, but nobody's looking fully at the big picture. And uh, our report is all about uh, the big picture and the fact that we've got to start 
uh, that kind of focus. Congressman Gallagher, Senator King referred to a structure on the order of the U.S. Trade Representative. They're obviously in the office of the USTR. It's not just the Trade Representative. There's a support team that provides the infrastructure that the USTR needs at any given time to execute its mission. What would you like that infrastructure to look like underneath the cyber director in that office? Well, as Senator King rightly pointed out at the beginning, uh, we didn't want to create a massive new bureaucracy. And throughout the Solarium Commission's report, you won't see recommendations for creation of large new agencies. The approach we largely took, largely took was to elevate and empower existing structures, give them the resources and the authorities they need to get the job done. Similarly, with the National Cyber Director, which is probably the biggest area where we are advocating for the creation of a new thing. We don't want that to become a massive bureaucracy, but certainly that person to be effective will need to have a small, nimble, uh, and very experienced staff in order to do the job for the president of the United States. But situated in close proximity to the president and the national security advisor, I think they can do that without having to uh, draw upon a hundred person agency. The overlay for all of this is what is happening in the federal government's response and the worldwide response to the coronavirus. I want to talk about what has changed in the cyber landscape because of coronavirus when we come back. More with the leaders of the Cyber Solarium Commission straight ahead on Government Matters. We'll be right back on ABC7. Welcome back. The coronavirus is not just driving risk in the health provision market. It is also driving risk on the cyber landscape. I'm back with Senator Angus King and Representative Mike Gallagher, both co-chairs of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. Gentlemen, thanks very much for continuing the conversation. Senator King, the recommendations of the commission came out just as we were getting into the throes of the coronavirus pandemic response. Has the cyber landscape changed much in your view? Have, and should the recommendations of the commission change much because of the response to coronavirus and the cyber threats we've seen evolve since the beginning of it? Well, the landscape has changed a great deal and the risk uh, landscape has changed a great deal. Uh, in fact, we're working on a, an appendix to our report to address uh, the relationship of the coronavirus to the other recommendations of the report to try to put it in the context of what we're seeing today. But one, one of the biggest things that's happened uh, over the last couple of months is the vast expansion of uh, working from home, of, of remote working, the kind of thing that we're doing this morning. And that has, that has doubled, quadrupled, I don't know what the right number is, but it's vastly ex increased the target space for malicious actors. And it's raised a whole new level of, of security. If people are working from home, you know, how secure is it? It's another area for malicious actors to, to attack. So uh, I think it has really uh, raised the stakes, if you will, because after we get out of this, I think we're still going to see a, a, lot of, a lot of this kind of work from home. But imagine, imagine if we were in exactly the place we're in now and the grid went down or and the Internet was taken out or hacked uh, in some kind of thorough and destructive way, um, that would just double or triple the economic devastation we're already facing. 
Congressman, I think that's one of the important works of the commission, and that is that you looked at not just the cyber landscape, Congressman, but you also looked at the, uh, all of the things that feed into it. A couple of the major pipes that are under the ocean get cut. We've got a lot bigger problems than we have from a hack or a data breach, that kind of thing. What's the holistic approach that you would like to see your colleagues in Congress take to dealing with some of the potential challenges that might not appear on the surface to be cyber challenges, but really play into that in some form or another? Well, I would argue the unifying concept is deterrence. How do we restore deterrence? We've really just tried to answer this question of whether deterrence is possible in cyberspace and how it relates to other forms of deterrence, and we definitively answer yes. And whether you're in the midst of a crisis uh, related to a pandemic or some other form of humanitarian disaster or even the early stages of a conflict, how do you consistently send that signal to our enemies that you cannot get away with attacking us and to our friends that we will work with you in order to establish responsible rules of the road, which don't currently exist in cyber. And so we have a strategy for what we call layered cyber deterrence. And I would argue that is the holistic concept that nests quite nicely within this overall national security strategy and national defense strategy we're trying to implement right now. Congressman, you and Senator King agree on uh, very, very many of the issues that the country's facing regarding cybersecurity. You disagree on a national security issue that broke this week. Uh, uh, Congressman Gallagher, you told Breaking Defense that uh, this week was a very bad day for the Chinese People's Liberation Army Navy. Why so? Uh, because uh, Marinette, Wisconsin, Finkentary Marinette Marine won the contract to build a future frigate. And for my, my good friend and, and fellow Packers fan, Angus King, I would say I see a future in which not only Marinette, Wisconsin can build this ship, but Bath can build our design there once we crank up the number of frigates we're building, because we're going to need um, uh, many more than just 20. It's really this small surface combatant, this future frigate, that is going to be the foundation of the future Navy and get a better high-low mix. So really exciting news for Northeast Wisconsin and a testament to the hard work of the men and women that work in that shipyard. Senator King, I'm sure that you know that Bath has a shot at the other 10 frigates. The Navy awarded a contract for 10 of the 20 that it wants to build today. So it's not like your constituents are completely locked out, sir. No, we're, we're looking forward to continuing to participate in that program uh, up at Bath. They put in a great bid, a great design, and, and uh, as Mike said, I think it's unlikely that, or it's likely that the Navy is going to like this ship and want more of them, and that they will, it will make, make sense for the Navy on a lot of levels to uh, disperse the, the building, and Bath has been building destroyers for many years. And uh, in fact, I remember when they were building frigates back in the 70s and 80s, so uh, they're ready to step up uh, when the country needs them. Senator, what are you hearing either anecdotally or data-wise on how coronavirus has impacted operations at places, uh, federal government outposts and contracting uh, uh, work sites uh, like Bath and others in Maine? It, it's been tough. We've got two major yards. We've got Bath Ironworks, which uh, is a private yard building uh, Navy destroyers, as I mentioned, but we also have the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard, which is one of our major uh, public yards. It's, it's run by the Navy, but the workers are civilians. And uh, this has been very difficult because the Navy early on said, building these ships is a national priority, it's national security, 
uh, you've got to keep going. You can't you can't shut down. On the other hand, uh, these are places where people are working in close quarters. So both yards have really worked hard to try to protect their workers, uh, to try to put new procedures in place and distancing procedures and protective equipment. Uh, and there have been a couple of cases. I think there were two at Bath and a couple at the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. Tragically, there was also a death from COVID at the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. But the men and women that work there are uh, working on behalf of the country, and they've worked through this. They went through a period where a lot of people stayed out, but I think now they're they're back at work, and and uh, the two yards have approached this, and and I think quite responsibly taken the the health of their of their workers seriously, but also taken their responsibility to the country uh, to to keep to keep the production going. Uh, through this crisis. Senator King, Congressman Gallagher, a lot more to cover, but we're out of time. Thank you both very much for joining me today. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every one of our programs by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.